edition of Surgeons Lives. I'm your host, John Monson. Today, we have another example of what I call surgical royalty. Dr. Keith Lillimo is currently the Gerald Austin Chair of Surgery and Surgeon-in-Chief at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Prior to that, his career has been nothing short of stellar in terms of academic progression. He did all of his training in Hopkins in Baltimore, was on faculty there for a number of years, became chair of surgery in Indiana before taking his current position some 12 years ago uh, in Boston. He's well known to many people around the world as uh, um, an HPB surgeon par excellence, and of course, currently serves as the editor-in-chief of the Annals of Surgery. What many people may not know uh, on the other side of the coin is that he's a fanatical sports enthusiast, um, and we're certainly going to enjoy talking to him about that and what deluded uh, beliefs he may have as a, as a, a very uh, keen Yankees fan. Um, so without uh, further ado, let's go ahead and um, enjoy uh, chatting to Keith Lillimo. I'm John Monson, and this is surgeons live excellent well welcome and thanks so much for uh, for joining this uh, episode of surgeons lives which as you already know has uh, that little strap line that says stuff that matters um which is not necessarily the number of papers you've written um or the titles you have um so i'm delighted that you've uh, you've joined um so um, what I normally ask people to do is, and I, I'll ask you to do, um, is to start us off uh, with a little life summary, starting with the words I was born in, which doesn't mean, by the way, what year you were born in. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that's the easy part. Um, so I was uh, born in uh, Aberdeen, South Dakota which is a, a, a rural area in the north central part of South Dakota. My uh, father uh, was a, a farmer, a small family farm. Uh, and my mother uh, uh, helped with the farm and, and raised uh, my, me and my brother. And, and uh, so we uh, uh, grew up. My first job, I think, where I ever received a, an actual paycheck was probably as a surgical intern because everything else I did was sort of uh, working on the farm or helping out on uh, other people's farms for a short-term basis. So sure. I grew up on a farm, went to a, a small high school, uh, 37 in my graduating class, uh, a school that size. <clears throat> you played football, you played basketball, you were on the track team, you're in the band, uh, you uh, uh, you were on the debate team, so you really participated in everything. So uh, it was uh, it was a good experience. Uh, then uh, after high school, I went to uh, uh, college at the University of South Dakota, which is in Vermilion, uh, southeast portion portion of the state. I, I really wasn't totally sold. I wanted to go into medicine, but uh, I'd been influenced by the fact that. I'd had a, uh, a brother die of childhood leukemia back oh. then when it was a fatal disease. And uh, I uh, had seen the impact that physicians uh, could have on on families and, and uh, uh, it, it was a good feeling. And so that sort of caught my interest. I, I was relatively good in science. Uh, uh, had thought about being an engineer, but decided I, I didn't want to go to the engineering school. So I, I ended up going to uh, uh, college as a in pre-med and ended up staying and going to the University of South Dakota School of Medicine, which when I started there was a two-year medical school. Huh. And uh, uh, when I finished my second year, I had the option I could stay. So they expanded to a four-year school, but I, I chose to transfer and ended up transferring from South Dakota to Johns Hopkins, which was a fairly significant academic jump, but it was a yeah. big social jump from a small town in South Dakota to the inner city of Baltimore. And, uh, you know, as you say, I mean, uh, sitting after your two years in South Dakota, you had to go either east or west. Um, 
so but you decided to go east um did you was it a deliberate uh, conversation or, or or a strategy or was it just serendipitous that you ended up uh, uh, on the east coast because you kind of that's been your life ever since really so it was uh, it's a long story and it sort of shows of kind of the story of our lives uh at South Dakota, because they transferred students for so many years, they sort of had sort of sort of pipelines that that people had gone to, and so I was uh, uh, thinking I wanted to go to Baylor, so not east or west, but south, uh, <laughs> because that had taken a lot of, uh, of the, the South Dakota students, and and uh, so my wife and I, when we got married after my first year of medical school, we took our honeymoon in all places of Houston, Texas, and uh, uh, we went down and. Uh, spent a few days in Houston, uh, went to, a, I think it was the Astros game by then, or maybe it was the Colt 45s, I don't remember, uh, but uh, uh, and uh, kind of did a few vacation things in Houston, but mainly went there to talk to some people, look at the Baylor Medical School, and and uh, uh, they discouraged me. They said, oh, it's a terrible place. They work everybody to death, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I sort of chose not to go there. And uh, uh, I think little did I know because I'd never been associated with a, a surgical training program that everybody worked hard in surgery. Yeah. So I, I was sort of in between uh, options and, and uh, kind of out of the clear blue sky, I, I received an opportunity to uh, that I could apply to a position at Hopkins. Hopkins hadn't taken anybody from South Dakota for eight years. They didn't take transfers very often. And so I applied and sent in my application. And the next thing I know, I was interviewing at uh, uh, Mayo Clinic. I did a regional interview. Uh, interviewed, drove there in a blizzard in January from South Dakota to Rochester and, and came home. And uh, like three days later, they offered me a spot, sight unseen. So I accepted uh, a third year medical school spot at, at Hopkins without actually coming to Baltimore without even ever being east of Chicago in my entire life. So I won't say it was formulaic, which is sort of uh, things happened. And, and I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to apply and, and get a spot. So it was uh, fate. I, I would say, though, that that did sort of secure me at the East Coast. Uh, uh, I've never really uh, uh, thought about leaving uh, uh, to go to the West Coast, but I, I uh, did go back to the Midwest, as you know, for a few yeah. years in Indiana. Yeah. Um, and um, so when you land in Baltimore, um, uh, I mean, what was the, you know, what is your burnt in memory of the change? I mean, it must, as you say, culturally in every respect must have been a, a big shift for you. What do you remember as being the, the biggest challenge? Well, uh, I think, uh, again, the location of Hopkins was uh, is still in a relatively tough neighborhood. And, and so we uh, lived in, in house staff housing uh, right uh, on, uh, yeah. uh, on the campus. Uh, and so it was adapting to uh, the um, uh, sort of the environment around us. Uh, uh, but the biggest adjustment I think was I had never really been associated with a teaching hospital. Yeah. I never worked with seeing what surgical residents did or anything like that. Uh, my main mentor and why I went into surgery uh, once I started medicine was a practicing general surgeon in the, this little town of Aberdeen, South Dakota, who mm -hmm. took me under his wing and let me scrub with him on cases and, and the like. And uh, so I, I kind of came there knowing I wanted to be a surgeon and the, uh, uh, you know, then sort of going from being right across the table for a general surgeon doing hernias and gallbladders and colon resections to being the medical student, you know, the third or fourth person down the line. There, there's a lot of it adapting that needed to take place. But uh, uh, you know, I fell in love with the uh, the surgery department there. As I said, we lived in sort of house staff and medical student housing, so many of my friends became the surgical residents. Uh, and so I, I was attracted to the people, but I was also attracted to the really the academic culture yeah. for the first yeah. time. So I think that was despite everything around in the community and the neighborhood and the city and, and all, 
uh, we, uh, uh, you know, we fell in love. I know when we first got there, we said, well, you know, we'll be there two years and we'll come back and maybe train at Minnesota or at at Mayo Clinic or someplace like that. And the next thing you knew, we were there 29 years. So we were in Baltimore for a long time. (laughs) And when you went there, who was the chair? Uh, George Zydema, mm-hmm. who uh, George just passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. John Cameron was a mid-level faculty member who was getting busy, just starting to do Whipples. Uh, and then uh, uh, when I was a uh, fourth year resident, uh, uh, George announced that he was uh, leaving to go back to Michigan in a, a, a yeah. academic leadership position for the medical school. And uh, they had a search. I, I hardly knew what was going on, but uh, they ended up uh, offering it to John when I was a chief resident, and and I think the next uh, was history for John, and he uh, was committed to uh, building a GI and a pancreas program, and he he had sort of thought that pancreas would be a good thing to do, and and so because of him and his interest in expanding GI, he recruited myself, Charlie Yo, and a group of people to follow Mark Talamini's. Uh, Richard Schulich, uh, Mike Chody, um, ultimately Tim Pollock, Chris Wolfgang, and that pipeline still continues. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and and um, most of that pipeline, of course, in the in the Hopkins tradition, was exported to do great things in academic leadership positions around the country, um, including you, um, um, but. I'm, I'm guessing um, I, when you went to Indiana, obviously, um, given your choice, uh, I mean, you, you've had a stellar career uh, academically, so there's there's no regret in any of this, but would you have liked to have replaced John? Or, uh, I mean, you, as I say, there's a, it's not as though you've done badly since then <laughs> anyway, but uh, would you have liked the opportunity, do you think? So, uh That, uh, uh, you know, how search committees work. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was probably John's handpicked successor, which was the kiss of death. Yeah, sure. Uh, Always is. Always is. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I had sort of been groomed. I'd been the vice chair. I'd been the program director. But, you know, I think, and I said this in my American Surgical Association presidential address, I told the story. I said, I think Hopkins was ready for a change and, and uh, needed to go a different direction. And and in the end, uh, uh, you know, I, I when I went to Indiana, it was a great opportunity for me oh, yeah. uh, to yeah. sort of build something on my own. I was able to recruit some, some good Hopkins people. Uh, we built a pancreas program uh, uh, that is, is and was uh, almost as big as the Hopkins program, perhaps not quite as academically productive, but uh, so it was a great experience for me. And uh, you know, and then ultimately, I think having been at, at Indiana prepared me for uh, a, maybe a more challenging job here at, at uh, the MGH. So you know, the world works in funny ways. Uh, you know, uh, you, you don't always get what you want, but sometimes uh, not getting that and, and building on disappointment allows for bigger and better things. And, and sure. So I, yeah. I think in the end, I wouldn't change anything about my career other than one thing is that, you know, our family uh, grew up there. We we still have two kids who live in Baltimore. We still have four grandkids uh, who live in Baltimore. And and so, uh, uh, and I'm still, a, as, as you know, from the notes we exchanged, I'm still a, a Ravens season ticket holder. So uh, a lot of those things might have been easier, but uh, in the end, it's all worked out well. And I can't complain about how how that search turned out and and I can't complain about how things have worked for me. Yeah and uh, as you say I mean it's um you know that you have one that one has a vision of uh, an idealistic uh, outcome etc and the, you know being closer to your kids etc we're now in Baltimore but you know fate would probably dictate that if you'd stayed in baltimore your kids would have left you know or whatever you know it's probably true yeah yeah i mean it, it's just life doesn't work like that so you said that uh mgh was clearly going to be 
um, uh, another challenge and more challenging. Um, Never ending challenge. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when, when you were a kid and I was a kid, you know, the chairs were still pretty powerful people, you know, in terms of, I mean, they're not, they're not without power now, but it's a different, uh, it's a different type of, uh, uh, of power, if you like. I mean, it's now much more collaborative teamwork with, you know, the system and all of that sort of stuff. Um, you know, what's been, what have you seen in your, in your career has been the big changes? Well, I, I think you nailed it. Um, I think, uh, back in the, you know, the eighties when I trained and, and started the faculty in the late eighties and nineties, uh, uh, the chair of surgery was, if not the most important or powerful person in the hospital, uh, his or her voice, and by, back in those days, it was almost exclusively his yeah. voice, meant meant the most. Uh, uh, and uh, it was it, it was something I think that uh, uh, probably had to change, uh, and has changed dramatically over the thirty or forty years uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, the system and and uh, uh, things like service lines and more efficiency of, of delivery of care, uh, and and really having power uh, sit in like one or two senior leaders uh, uh, is it, probably not the roadway to success anymore. And so uh, uh, I think the time at Indiana was an interim period for that. I, I don't think I felt ever felt that I was totally the most important person in the system, but uh, uh, I certainly had a, a opportunity to have contributions as, as that program evolved from uh, uh, sort of a, a, a centralized departmental financial structure to more of a, a practice plan within the, uh, uh, within the health system. I, I saw that happen. And, and, and frankly, when I came to the MGH that had already come into play so, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I've seen a lot of evolution, but I, I would never say that a, a chair of surgery is, uh, you know, the position is still a great job. It, yeah. it comes with challenges, but it, it is not the all powerful. You know, I, I can't walk into anybody's office and slam my fist on the table and say, this is what's going to happen because this is what surgery needs to happen. You have yeah. to learn to cooperate and collaborate uh with all the players uh, in the system. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, as you say, obviously you can't do that nowadays. And the reality is it wasn't massively successful when you could do that um, because, you know, having a conversation and debate about something is usually more effective in terms of delivering the correct strategy. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you, um, and, you know, I always have to be careful how I phrase this, but, you know, you and I are, shall we say, in a similar phase of our uh, uh, age and life and career, um, and things change, uh, uh, you know, over those decades, etc. And um, uh, I was in, interested in your, your bio where it says, um, and I'll quote for you, um, <laughs> It says, in recent years, his academic interests have included surgical education, patient safety, quality health care disparities, surgical leadership, and well-being. Um, now, I'll, I'll put money on it that you would not have said that 25 years ago. Um, you know, you were at the forefront of you know, major HPB and cancer issues, et cetera, et cetera. Now, um, and I, I do think, and I, I'll put it to you that, you know, some of those interests, which some of those interests, by the way, didn't exist 25 years ago. Um, yeah. But, you know, how much of those interests have developed because they come with a maturity like a fine wine um, and you realize that there are certain things more important than another you know, paper, et cetera, et cetera. And how much is because society's changing? What do you think? 
I, I think I have the best of both worlds because I, I still have an absolutely fabulous uh, uh, group of pancreatic surgeons that I work with. Uh, my senior partner in our group, uh, Carlos Fernandez del Castillo, is is a, a great leader. He's a great partner. Uh, he's academically driven uh, uh, from the education perspective uh, for the residents. Uh, uh, he's a, a tremendous teacher. And we've got some junior faculty that are are aspiring to, you know, to continue to publish along that line. So, you know, my job is is to, uh, you know, contribute to some of the planning of the studies, contribute to some of the, uh, uh, you know, certainly contribute patients and participate as I can, sign patients up for for various uh, tissue bank banking and things along those lines. And then usually what will happen is uh, as an abstract or a paper comes across my desk, I kind of get a, a little bit of a say into it. Uh, uh, so I, I still have the opportunity and great satisfaction of, of being part of a, a team like that. And, and so uh, I, I would say that would be tough to walk away with. But I think uh, uh, when I list those interests uh, at the end of the, the bio that you quoted, it, it's what I feel that Maybe it's the the no hair, gray hair thing that you know I can probably contribute a little bit more to uh, uh, understanding how we face the challenges of education. We chase uh, face the challenges of of quality and safety and uh, um, you know surgeon burnout uh, because yeah. uh, you know that's a big part of my job right now. I, I'm not. It's not necessary that I do more Whipples than anybody. It's not necessary that I be first author on papers, uh, but it is important that I lead by example uh, and provide, maybe not directly provide, but advocate for you know the faculty uh, to support uh, their their well being, uh, to advocate for quality and safety, and, and to advocate for education of our residents, diversity in our our workforce. And, and yeah, maybe it's maturity, but uh, I don't think I've lost my passion for the other. But I think I can make more contributions yeah. than, than probably understanding the you know the newest molecular biology of, of pancreatic cancer. So uh, you know, and part of it also becomes as your position changes, you know, the, you are the person to provide the leadership in that. You know, as it's uh, you have that opportunity. So, um, uh, you know, I've talked to a number of uh, people in this podcast at different ages. Um, you know, and I, I talked recently. We we haven't we haven't published it yet, but um, I, I've chatted to Justin Dimick and uh, and Tim Pollock. Um, you know, both of whom I would classify as sort of a, a another generation of young, highly successful surgical academics, etc. Um, so it's a little difficult to, it's not as relevant to us, but I, you know, I chatted to Jeff Matthews um, at the beginning of all of this. And, you know, he, we were talking about retirement and operating and when you finish and, you know, some places mandate retirement at 65. Some have no rule whatsoever. Um, you know, a couple of, cert Jeff is keen on the concept of um, cognitive checking I think he said beyond the age of 60, et cetera. Um, what are your thoughts about, uh, you know, uh, doing those Whipples? You know, should you be doing a Whipples when you're 80? Or um, do you want to be doing a Whipples when you're 80? Or do you want to keep working? Or what are your thoughts? So, uh I, you know, the only person I know who was doing Whipples in their 80s was John Cameron. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think Charlie Yo and I are sort of his senior most trainee yep. who are, are still chairs and still doing those operations. And we are, we were very close to residency. We we're very close to faculty. We remain very close. And we both have said we're not going to be doing Whipples at age 80. Uh, uh, and, and so I, but I think I am. I'm not going to be quite as sophisticated as Jeff. <clears throat> I could never be as sophisticated as Jeff uh, Matthews, <laughs> but uh, my biggest fear and, and concern is, is uh, that I, I'd rather retire 
one Whipple too early than one Whipple too late. And, and I, I look very carefully at my complications. You can't do pancreatic surgery without having complications. Sure. You can't have, you'll have readmissions. <laughs> uh, uh, and, but the nice thing I have is, as I said, uh, a great team. You know, we, we discuss all our cases preoperatively together. Uh, I, I said the hardest thing for me when I went to Indiana to be the chair was I didn't have Dr. Cameron down the hall to come in and take a peek into the OR to say, you know, should I do this or should I not? And, you know, I, I was fortunate. I Henry Pitt joined us and Tom Howard was there and Mike House and Attila Nakib And we all did that for everybody else. And I, I continue to learn from my junior partners and and uh, but I, I uh, I'm very cognizant of, of that uh, and I do feel again you know approaching the R word I, I do think as a surgeon uh, to be a chair you have to be a surgeon I, I don't think I want to be a chair who is non-operative now I, I I point out that I do pancreas resections I do inguinal hernias and I do lap coles. I don't do a lot in between other than the occasional bile duct repair that comes in, but I don't do colon surgery. I, sure. I don't do minimally invasive uh, uh, foregut or, or whatever. So, and I like that diversity because it gives me a chance to operate with the chief residents. I still like to do intern inguinal hernias uh, and you know, the gallbladders can fall into, you know, the last couple months with the senior residents, uh, with interns getting to do their first lap coley with me, sort of uh, uh, help with the chief resident helping them. Uh, I, you know, I sort of enjoy being able to contribute in all areas. So, uh, but you know, choosing to do pancreatic surgery, I, I do have to be very cognizant of sure. uh, where I uh, where I should set limits, and and uh, if I'm not, then I'm I'm failing my patients, and and I I say to my partners all the time. Uh, you know, if, if you start seeing a slippage, uh, uh, I don't want anybody to uh, uh, to not bring that to my attention. So as you say, it's hard to be a chair if you're not a surgeon. Um, the I could do hernias and lap coles probably. Well, that would... Sure, sure. But you could be a surgeon without being the chair. So that raises the other question. Um, are you a fan of... Um... Uh, what's the word term limits uh you know i was a chair in england for 15 years and uh, you know i'm i think i did a pretty good job for 12 of them and that's not to say by the way that the uh the the ones that i wasn't maybe at the top of my game were at the end i mean i just my point being that um nobody is at the top of their game every year all the time but I've always taken the belief that there's a baton in your office somewhere that at some point you need to hand it over to someone and say, okay, I'm going to still do my thing here and whatever my interests are. Um, but from the leadership standpoint, it's time. Um, now, some people, as you know, I mean, no I'm not exactly breaking any secrets here and uh, revelations in surgery, sometimes people deal with that differently, shall we say. Um, well, what's your thinking? Well, I, uh, you can't really see it with my head in the way, but I have this great picture on my wall of uh, now about 97-year-old Paul Russell. Uh, we lost Jerry Austin at 92 uh, and uh, uh, Andy Warshaw was in his 80s, uh, or is in his 80s, and then there was me. So we have four uh, MGH chairs still walking the halls on a fairly regular basis in some uh, function. I've decided that I'm going to break that mold, and, and when I retire, I'm, I'm going to leave uh, uh, Boston. I'm going to leave the MGH. Uh, I'm going to, we have no kids here. We have no grandkids here. Um, my, we have eight grandkids, uh, and certainly my wife is ready for me to retire at any time. Uh, and I, I think that's what our goal will be, yeah. is to be closer to the family and be able to uh, spend time with them and maybe travel and do things and just just be there when, when somebody wants to go away for a weekend uh, to a wedding or something, uh, that we could be there to look after the kids. I think that's my goal. And if I can play a role in, you know, in remote mentoring or, or helping in some way, wherever, 
whatever city I, I end up with, I might do that. But I have no job desire to continue to operate, yeah. just to operate. I, I think I'll be ready to give up the operating before giving up the chair position. And uh, and in terms of timing, and, and again, this will probably be circulated amongst the intern applicants. <laughs> uh, I uh, don't think my job is quite done here. Uh, there's a lot of transition going on here in Boston. The, the bringing together of, of the Brigham and the MJH is a closer allies. I have a good relationship with Jerry Doherty. I, I think uh, there's there's a lot of challenges of, of uh, a new system, and and I feel that uh, I, I have a role to help get through that process, as well as uh, you know help navigate some of the financial struggles that all sure. of our institutions are in. But I think when that job is done, uh, I think I'll be uh, ready to move on. And and uh, uh, so it, it's certainly not a desire to stay on forever. Somebody said at a meeting I was when asked, are you in favor of term limits? And, and, and the person said, I absolutely am. And as soon as I retire, I want them to put those into place. So uh, exactly, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm more than happy to serve as long as uh, my department thinks I'm serving them, as long as my uh, my bosses feel that I'm serving them. But you know, if if the day comes when either group feels I'm not doing a good job, uh, uh, I you know I, I could walk away very very easily. I, you know, I, I I remarked to somebody recently. I was I went at one of the ASA meetings in the last few years pre-COVID. There was a session on uh, is there life after surgery, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, I need to go and listen to this, etc. And I went and listened to several people. I know Julie Freischeg was one, and Mike Zinner was another, and can't remember who the other two was. And I listened to these, and I suddenly realized. According to these people, there isn't a life after surgery because none of them had done what you're proposing to do. They'd all taken new jobs in the medical space. You know, none of them had decided to, you know, climb Mount Kilimanjaro or sail the world or whatever. They were all still. Um, now, you, on the other hand, um, have, uh, you know, this uh, big sports fandom disease um, that has clearly afflicted you for many years and are living in the middle of Boston being a, a, a Yankees fan. Right, there's uh, my chair over my yeah. shoulder there, Yankee Stadium chair sitting in the chair's <laughs> office in, in uh, the MGH. So uh, I will say, honestly, I have never in my career interviewed for any job that wasn't a chair of surgery job. <clears throat> I've never desired to be a dean, a president of a hospital, a leader of a health system. I am pleased and admire Craig Kent, Selwyn Vickers, uh, Bob Higgins, uh, um, people who've gone on and done that. And I'm so happy that they're doing that. And, and Julie Freischlag and, and uh, Barbara Bass, uh, you know, I'm pleased that they're doing that. Uh, I really have always uh, felt my love was for uh, for surgeons and for surgical trainees. You know, I started as a program director, and and it was being a program director that really drove me to to want to be a chair because of the opportunity to support uh, uh, younger people. Uh, you know, Selwyn Vickers once said when he was uh, moved up from the chair at Minnesota to the uh, the dean at uh, UAB, he said, you know, when you're uh, a chair, you feel like you're the king of the lions. And when you're a dean, you feel like you're the zookeeper. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow I, I just feel I'm better suited to uh, hang out with the lions. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I certainly appreciate all my colleagues in other areas, but I, I view my job is, is to advocate as hard as I can for the, you know, the surgical interns and the surgical residents and the medical students as I do for the the other specialties, and and I think I'm better cut out for that. But uh, so again, I, I as I said, if I if I can use my wisdom and experience to help uh, in a department remotely without having to go in every day and and uh, punch a clock or worry about RVUs, I will do that. But sure. uh, yeah. I really think when I'm done as a chairman, I will be totally retired and probably won't make Mount Kilimanjaro, but I may make a lot more 
football and basketball games. Uh, so when you were a, a kid in high school in South Dakota, as you say, you 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 took part in all the sports. Um, you know, what was your what was your sport? Which was the one that you were good at? So I, I'm a big guy. I wasn't that big then, but you know, so I, I was probably the sport where I uh, uh, contributed most was I was a, a tight end for the football team. And, uh, you know, I guess probably a power forward for the basketball team. I was never good enough to, you know, be all state or, or anything like that. But, you know, for the local team, I, I, I probably was, uh, uh, you know, those were the areas where I felt I could contribute the most. And then uh, that was with the high school sports. And, and probably I played baseball longer than anything because uh, I was a little bit younger when I went through. So I played two years of uh, American Legion baseball. Yeah. after high school uh and so uh and i really played on some very good teams because uh uh my little town didn't have enough people who played so sure. i played for a couple other teams that really really were very good made a lot of friends and that's how i met my wife actually was playing on some of the other other towns uh uh teams so i it was uh probably baseball i played the longest and yeah. continued to uh um play even even in uh when I went to as a resident, uh, we would always have softball games and, and uh, intramural basketball games at Hopkins. And, I, you know, I know this is supposed to be a little bit of fun. I'll, I'll tell you the, the story about why I got the job at the MGH. Uh, I was uh, going to be one of the last candidates to uh, interview. Uh-huh. And about two weeks or three weeks before I was supposed to come in early September to interview for the job, we were playing in our faculty house staff softball game at Indiana and I tore my Achilles running to first base. And uh, so I, I had surgery. I was non-weight bearing and I had this interview coming up at, at the MJH. And, and I uh, knew that if I didn't show up, they were going to move ahead. So I, I was going to come, yeah. but I was totally unable to travel on my own. I, you know, I was in a, a, uh, uh, a scooter so I was yep. non weight bearing yeah, yeah. so I brought my wife with me to as much as anything just to help slurp me around and uh the night before the first day of the interviews typically the chair of the search committee had had dinner with the candidates yeah mm-hmm. and he his his wife it turned out was the uh, dean for faculty affairs at Harvard so most of the candidates showed up for the job and, and were surprised not to see just the, the chair yeah. of the search committee, but his wife. And so when you were the last one in the list, you kind of knew she was going to be there. Yeah. So I asked myself, which was the more inappropriate to call up and say, can my wife join us for dinner or be in the midst of the dinner and, and uh, say, oh, yeah, my wife's up in the room having room service. So, so I called the chair of the search committee and I said, uh, what should I do? And he said, oh, bring your wife. Uh, and it was the best search dinner I've ever had in my life. And I've hosted <laughs> many of them. Uh, the conversations were, uh, were great. It was friendly. And, and frankly, um, like many things in my wife, our, our lives, my wife showed better than I did and made an impression. And I think... From that moment on, the uh, wife of the uh, uh, head of the search committee said, you got to hire this guy, Lillimo, because his wife's just the light to hang out with. And so uh, uh, when I when I finally was offered the job, uh, they uh, uh, they didn't have my cell phone number. I, I was actually in Florida near you at the Southern Surgical. And uh, uh, so it turns out that uh, the chair of the search committee's wife had my wife's number. So my wife gets a phone call and says, hey, can, can uh, uh, Keith call, you know, Dr. Slavin and Dr. Torchiana at the MJH? Uh, and so that's how I got it. So I, I attribute this job from sort of the uh, maybe a little bit of a sympathy because I was in a boot and, <laughs> and on a walker. And secondly, because my wife made a good impression. So. A baseball injury. So if you weren't a, if you weren't a surgeon, uh and uh 
you know, that, that part that life didn't exist. Uh, what do you think you would have been? Um... I think I've said this uh, a lot of times. I, I think I would have liked to have been a college basketball coach uh-huh. yeah. uh, because it's, it's about recruiting. It's a little bit about, uh, it's a lot about practice training uh, and uh, uh, strategy uh, and, and, uh, you know, I, I could see myself, uh, you know, I would have loved to have had that opportunity, uh, to you know, hang around with, with young people and help develop their skill sets. That's kind of what I do now. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I, I help, help patients along the way as I do it. So, yeah, I yeah, exactly. I, and I say, I say basketball, maybe it could have been baseball, probably not football because that's too complex, uh, but uh, uh, I, I would have said I could have been the, the, you know, the head coach at North Carolina would have been would have been a nice thing to do. So. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, as as you and I mentioned before, my, you know, my son is a, is a football analyst and, uh, you know, he 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 runs a, a podcast which people actually listen to as opposed to my podcast. I think he's the third the third most popular podcast uh, in the country. And it's a, you know, you and I can chat about surgery and various things like that and say something opinionated and nobody cares, you know, really. Uh, he says something opinionated and he gets death threats. <laughs> it's kind of really bizarre that people, um, you know, people are, uh, you know, I remember he got... Uh, he said something about the Cowboys one day and um, somebody sent him a tweet saying, I hope you get ALS and die. I mean, <laughs> really, really specific disease. You know? <laughs> well, with all the gambling going on now, too, if he if he if he gets something out about an injury or something like that and it doesn't play, you know, he could have uh, hitmen coming after him, too. I don't know. So. Yeah, it's uh, but, you know, once you wonder, you know, surgery is a very small world um, and, you know, it's it's pretty much a safe zone. But it's uh, when you're uh, when you're in the world of sports and major league sports, you're playing in a slightly different uh, territory in in my experience. So um, uh how would you like to be remembered and and how do you think you will be remembered? Um, you know, I've been very lucky. Uh, certainly did not come. I was the first member of my family to attend college. Uh, now there are one, I have to count one, two, three, four, five physicians, uh, between my brother and I, yep. he's got two daughters who are physicians and a wife who's a physician. I have a daughter who's a physician. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I would like to be known for someone who, you know, set accomplished a lot without a, a, a lot uh, provided to me in advance. Yeah. But took advantage of a lot of great mentors along the way. I mentioned the general surgeon in, in Aberdeen. Yeah. I, I can mm -hmm. talk about John Cameron, Bing Rickers, uh, 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 Jay Grossfeld, uh, and certainly Jerry Austin here. Uh, so, and, and I guess I would like to be remembered uh, as someone who gave as much to the people uh, that I surrounded myself with and help their careers uh, as much as uh, I uh, received from the people who helped me. Uh, so if I could be remembered as somebody who's a, a mentor, uh, somebody who was uh, generous with their time, uh, someone who, uh, uh, you know, volunteered for a lot of things and, and, you know, I mean, just, uh, annals of surgery is a perfect example. Yeah. I, I tell this story. I, I said, uh, uh, I, I was, uh, the first, you know, there was a little bit of hard feelings between David Sabison and John Hop Johns Hopkins when Dr. Sabison wasn't Dr. Blaylock's successor. And uh, uh, and one of the things that Frank Spencer told me when uh, I didn't get the job at Hopkins, he said, Keith, don't be like David. Don't be bitter. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, thanks to John Cameron, he went to David Sabison when he became the chair and, and uh, 
reached out and asked David to come to uh, Johns Hopkins to uh, uh, be a visiting professor. And it sort of broke down those ties. Yeah. Yeah. Medical students started to come interviewing. And, and uh, I was the beneficiary of that new relationship because David asked me to write a review article for uh, Analysts of Surgery. And he said, Keith, I want you to write it. I don't want it to be John Cameron's paper. I want it for you. And I wrote that review article. And then the next thing I know, he called me up and asked me to be on the editorial board for Annals of Surgery. And then that led to more years on the editorial board and then associate editor under Bing. And and I, I tell people, you never know when a little opportunity yeah. like that comes along to uh, 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 do something for someone who's influential and they can turn around and help your career. And and that's sort of my attitude, as, as you know, in analysis surgery, you're on the board. Uh, we have a, a generous uh, editorial board. I, I, that's my way of rewarding people who do good reviews and, and yeah. contribute. And, and uh, uh, my only problem is I don't, you know, I probably accumulate. I don't ever fire anybody from the, from the board. <laughs> I, I wait for people to retire, but uh, maybe I need to make that decision too. That's another decision I'm going to make at some point is how much longer do I want to do that job. That's that's the only job uh, I've had in my entire life where there's no such thing as a, a vacation day. Yeah. If there's a day that goes by that I don't at least go to uh, uh, the website to make a decision or two or, or uh, assign a, a manuscript, it's, it's few and far between. And a lot of uh, uh, Thanksgiving days are spent watching football and and doing the animal assignments, people say, why is this guy working on Thanksgiving? It's because, well, I'm watching sports and doing what I do. So it's always interesting to me that, you know, being an editor or uh, a co-editor is, it's just the same as being on the abstract selection committee. You know, nobody ever comments positively about the program <laughs> or the, or the papers. The, their comments are always who selected this crap, yeah. you know, <laughs> or who agreed to accept it, you know, etc. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a thankless uh, task. So outside of um, surgery, do you have a, a bucket list item? Um, well, I, I think, uh, uh, I mean, my wife and I do enjoy traveling. Uh, we're uh, this, uh, summer we're doing a, a cruise we're not big cruise people but we're we're doing a cruise to norway we've not oh yeah i've yeah. spent I'm, I'm norwegian lilimo is norwegian yeah. and, mm -hmm. and uh i've had one short stop uh in in stavanger uh and bergen but i haven't seen the rest of the country so uh we're going to do a, a little bit of a scandinavian cruise and and i think traveling a little bit seeing parts of the world that i go to someplace without it being a, a surgical meeting it would be fun for yeah. my wife. Uh, uh, so <laughs> I like to travel, but uh, we, we have a, a, a second home down in, in uh, Florida uh, on the uh, intercoastal, just south of Boca that I think we'll spend time down there. Uh, but I, I, you know, really spending time with family and, and trying to maintain health uh, and, uh, and be able to, uh, really enjoy, uh, friends and, and family. There's a, I don't know if you're a fan of Gary Larson and, uh, the far side, the cartoons, etc. There's yeah. a great, he has a great cartoon, um, of, uh, a coastline, um, uh, and the seaside and the mountains. And there's a series of, in the inlets, there's a series of parked cars, um and the inlets and the caption for this is the norwegian fords <laughs> <laughs> so if i um if i was to offer a trade for you um which would be uh two weeks in boca or um the first pitch at yankee stadium throwing out the first pitch throwing out you... the first pitch oh yeah. uh if I had a little time to practice, because I've seen so many horrible pitches. Uh, it's amazing, as, isn't it? <laughs> including the, 
I watched the Yankee game last night and the, the number one draft choice, the kid from France, seven foot yeah. four, yeah. threw the ball and it, it bounced about six feet in front of the plate and eight feet wide. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I would embarrass myself. So if you gave me two weeks to practice and let me throw out the, the, the first pitch, uh, uh, at Yankee Stadium, that, that I would do that. Uh, you know, I, I do remember, uh, you know, what uh, the you know, when George Bush threw it out at the World Series uh, after in the uh, the year after 9/11, Derek Jeter stepped up to him and he said something along the line: "Is go to the mound and throw a strike." And I'm not getting political here, but that was one of the best first pitches I've ever seen in my life. He winged it right in there. It was, uh, and it was, it was probably as strong a sign of supporting of America as you ever could see is when the president fired a, a pitch from the a mound to the catcher. Uh, uh, it may not have been a called strike, but it was a sign that the U.S. was back. So yeah, it, it never ceases to amaze me how how the. <laughs> How people manage to be unable to throw a ball that distance, it, it vaguely in the right direction. It's really quite bizarre. Uh, I wouldn't want to do it to embarrass myself. So. No, for sure. Well, Keith, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it. and um, But I'm sure it's going to be uh, something that people want to listen to. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of, I know you're all too busy day to... Uh, just uh, talk about stuff that matters to us. So I want to just uh, explain. We have our resident graduation tonight. Otherwise, I probably not would not have been in a tie. That that's the one <laughs> transition that I made uh, from uh, from the time I was a third year medical student until uh, COVID. I wore a coat and tie or a white coat and tie every day for my entire uh, career, except sometimes when I come in on weekends. I would wear a collared shirt. Uh, but uh, since COVID, I've sort of said, you know, certainly during those days, you spent most of your time on, on Zoom anyway. So yeah. uh, I, uh, I've sort of gone tireless. But with this graduation tonight, I had to put it on. So for all my friends who used to see me without a tie on, I didn't just dress up for you today, John. <laughs> Oh, I'm very disappointed, but I, I'm sure that with the benefit of Zoom, you're probably wearing golf shorts below it all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm honored that, that you'd think somebody would want to listen to me, and uh, I'll get those pictures to you soon. Let, you take let me care. know when it does go out. I, I will. Maybe my daughter, who's a surgeon, will watch it. I don't think anybody else will. For sure, I will. Don't you worry. Thanks, Keith. Bye-bye. Have a good rest of your week. It's it.